Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's edition and today's program. Calvary Live, taking your calls and your questions. 303-690-3000 is the number. 303-690-3000. Or you can text me, 720-336-0897. And we'd love to have you join us on the air. I want to talk to you about what's on your mind, what questions you might have, what's uh, what's happening, maybe a prayer request. We had a great time in our midweek Bible study. I love, I love, I love our midweeks. When we gather together, we sing together, pray together. Last night, uh, we had a pre-scheduled guest in, um, not necessarily, not, not, a guest in the sense from the way he is one of our staff pastors, um, a senior pastor in his own right. Um, and he pastored for many, many years in North Phoenix, Pastor Bob Claycamp. He's um, on our team, uh, and he filled in last night uh, teaching us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I've taught on it many, many times, but I um, so appreciate the same uh, topic delivered differently, and I was encouraged by it. Uh, we had many people stand and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We prayed with them. Um, I got to pray with a couple of people, and the pastors were all up front. It was such a glorious time. It was just beautiful, um, and I was reminded uh, of this scripture. I shared it at the end, uh, I, I, and it's um, I, so it's kind of you know I want to say it was a team approach, but really Pastor Bob did. Most of the, did all of the teaching. I didn't do any teaching, but at the end, I just felt this exhortation um, from Jesus, uh, and I came up to share it. Let me share it with you. Maybe it's going to be a word for you uh, in receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, but while we wait, you know, while I'm reading this, uh, email me or excuse me, call 303 690 3000, 303 690 3000, or text me 720 336 0897. So here, I after that, after the teaching, after the invitation, after the exhortation to receive the Spirit, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share this. Uh, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, know, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, listen, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I mean, isn't that amazing? Uh, How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Um, Man, such a good word, such a word. And uh, I believe it. I I mean, I, I believe Jesus at his word. Jesus said, look, you have examples of dads, some better and some not so much, right? But, but any reasonable dad is not going to give a stone when the 
kid asked for bread. Any reasonable dad's not going to give his son a serpent instead of a fish or a scorpion instead of an egg. That's cruel. That's mean. That's harmful, traumatic, abusive, you name it. And if reasonable dads will bless their sons, how much more God of all the universe who loves us unconditionally is going to bless you by giving you of the Holy Spirit when you ask. So ask and listen to the Bible study. Pastor Bob Claycamp shared it last night. It's on our app uh, and uh, it is uh, uh, very, he did a very wonderful, he handled the text very wonderfully. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a beautiful, beautiful truth. Uh, and it the summary really surrounds, I want everything the Lord has for me. I want everything the Lord has for me. That I, I don't want to hold back anything. I want it all. Uh, whatever he wants to give to me, I want. And so get it. It's on our app. Go to our app, go to your app store, put in the, put in my name, Ed Taylor. The app should pop up, no problem. Calvary Aurora. You know, we started using my name. It was easier to spell than Aurora, but you can put in the church, Calvary Aurora, Calvary Church Aurora, or my name, Ed Taylor, the Apple pop-up. Download it, turn on notifications, and we'll stay in touch. And all of our studies and everything that we've ever taught here, for the most part, um, stay in touch with what's updated, any anything that's going on, and we want to stay in touch with you. 303-690-3000, down to Colorado Springs now. On line one is Dana. Dana, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, you're on the air. So do I just repeat my question? Yeah, yeah, because you, you gave it to the call screener, so now you're on there. So let's talk about it. So, um, like I was telling him, I... My faith back in September, October, um, born again Christian. So I go to Bible study every week, church every Sunday, do my own little studies, you know, my own little devotions every day, twice a day. But I'm still struggling with like letting. God says we should forgive those, even if they're undeserving of, you know, being forgiven and love those who hate us. But I seem to still struggle with letting those type of feelings, like. You know, like, I still struggle with having those feelings even when I know I shouldn't. Yes. Well, let me, let, let's talk about that a little bit, and then I have some direction for you. You know, first of all, the fact that you use the word struggle is an indication of your new life in Christ. And as, as much as it's challenging and difficult right now, the idea of struggling with feelings and struggling or battling, you know, those kind of words where I know what Jesus says, I want to do what Jesus says, but it's challenging and hard to do what Jesus says. Those are all evidences of you being in relationship with God. Uh, it doesn't make you a bad person. It really does reveal to you and to those around you that you love God and you want to obey him. Um, secondly, it, it is hard uh, to live in forgiveness. It is hard when you've been hurt, when there's injustice, when you have past trauma, um, abuse, misuse, it is hard. Uh, it is hard for us in the battle between the flesh and the spirit. So the struggle is is normal. Um, biggest, now, that is my biggest fight is with my flesh sure. and what 
what I know in my heart, you know. And I think that that's where, you know, those those are so that those first two thoughts really have to do with the humanity of it all. And now we take it from the humanity into the spiritual realm. And forgiveness really is uh, something that comes to us and through us from God. Like we we stand before him just guilty as guilty can be. We are wrong. We have wronged him. Our sin has put him on the cross and out of his great love for us, he forgives us. And the, remember what forgiveness means. Uh, forgiveness is a technical term in the original language of the Bible, and it literally means to release someone from the debt that they owe you. The idea behind forgiveness is, say, is simply this. I know that you've wronged me, and I release you from what you owe me. I release you from that wrong. And it's an act in time, right? It is, an, it is a decision that we make to agree with God that I'm not going to hold that person's wrong against me, against them. And the healing, though, you know, forgiveness is, I like that when I teach a Bible study on forgiveness, I like to have everybody in the, in the room clap their hands like this. And I say, yeah, clapping is like forgiveness. It just, it happens in a moment. But healing and reconciliation, that happens over time. So we, we often confuse forgiveness. Like if I forgive, then everything's going to be great. You know, it's not true. Not everything's going to be great. Not everything's going to be healed. Not every relationship's going to be restored. Uh, but forgiveness releases them, but it also releases us. And as you, as you abide in Christ, as you enjoy your relationship with him, forgiveness will come very naturally. Like it won't be a battle or a struggle uh, and I suspect that you're pretty close to forgiveness. What is the fact that you're still upset, you're still hurt, you still don't like it, and those things don't disappear right away, unfortunately. Um, they linger. It's the consequence of sin, even someone else's sin against us. So it's funny. Well, excuse me. Let me watch my language on that. It's interesting that this is a topic for you today because we are just now working on my next book, um, writing things down in writing, and the next book uh, is the title is going to be something along the lines being being set free from your past, and one of the forgiveness. So you can get a sneak preview of that because it's just Bible studies I've taught on our on our app. So if you download our app and you go into the series messages and then series section, you can you can find the series that I did that I think we titled set free from your past or something like that. Let me let me look it up with you. And I think that learning from God's word and trusting in the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to grow in this area of of forgiveness. And so let me see. You go to messages and then you go to series and in the series section it's titled free from our past. And there are two there's six Bible studies in it. Um how do I deal with my anger? Uh, day by day, moment my moment in Jesus, which is what it, abiding. Uh, Jesus has made us free. How do I deal with my past? There's no condemnation, and then free the freedom forgiveness gives. So it's all in there, you know, f- forgiveness, uh, condemnation, uh, anger, frustration. I really dealt with all those in Bible studies because it's so common. 
Right. So can I pray for you? Yes, sir. Father, you know Dana, and you know the, the pain that she carries from being hurt by people and by experiencing just traumatic, challenging um, pain, God, God that, that is deeper than probably anybody knows. And I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and help her rise to forgiveness, um, to release the person in her life from the debt that's owed so that she's not caught up in bitterness and anger and frustration. And I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, as my sister walks and abides in you, that you would give her the freedom that forgiveness brings. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Hey, Dana, I was thinking, um, email me uh, and anyone else dealing with forgiveness. And we have a tool here that we use. It's a PDF file that I can send you for free. You can print it out. And it's one of the best tools on learning what the Bible has to say about forgiveness and how you can participate in that. And if you email me, I'll just respond. Just remind me that you talk to me about forgiveness, and I'll respond to that email with some links uh, to that study series too. And and I know God. I guess the way you need to hang up today is just know that God wants you to forgive, and He's going to enable you to do it. You may not feel like it right now, but I know that He will bring you to that point. Okay, what's the email? Send it to Ed at EdTaylor dot org. Ed at EdTaylor dot org. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. 303-690. Anyone that wants information on forgiveness, I've got the links easily copied. Uh, I actually have a file on my computer of resources so that when I mention them, it doesn't doesn't require hardly any work at all. I just copy and paste it, and I'd I would love to serve you that way. Uh, and go for it. I'd love to get these tools in your hands. I want I want the body of Christ to rise up and grow and be used greatly in the things of the Lord. All right, let's move on to Commerce City, Colorado. Matthew is on the line. Matthew, welcome to the program. Thank you, Pastor Ed. <clears throat> Today I'm just calling in because I'd like some guidance and some prayer. Okay. Um, to make a long story short, I've been uh, <clears throat> dating. I've been uh, seeing this female who uh, who has a daughter, um, and the daughter is one that is transgender, um, was okay. born uh, male, is about 15, 16 years old, and okay. the mother um, was kind of convinced by the father and the child to go along, and there's some uh, hormones being taken and things like that. So I come in, uh, into the situation, you know, kind of way behind anything where, uh, you know, my opinion or what I have to think or say really matters. I've yet to meet the child, but um, I, I, I just don't see it developing into something. I'm just kind of just stuck in a spot where I'm looking for something to either tell me, you know, this is something I could go into or not, you know, above all, I'm not making this bigger than God. You know, I, I want to love like he did. I love everybody, but this, I have two young daughters and this is just something that is, you 
you know, a little more than what I was prepared to do, I think. Um, and I don't want to introduce something at such a young age. I know at some point they're going to be introduced to uh, things of this nature. And there's nothing new under the sun, you know. So I'm not afraid, but it's just that they're, they're at a very young age, and I don't want to impress on them something that I would have to go back and and recuse or, you know, go back and do a lot of heavy explaining at such a young age. It's just, of course. Well, just there's stuck. a few things. Let me let me clarify um, what I think I'm what I think I heard. You have a question about whether you should pursue this particular relationship. Well, is it something that you have? Yeah, yeah, I would say yes. Okay. Yes. So I would sort. I like to you know in complex things like this. One of the things I like to do in my own life and even as a pastor is to sort things out one at a time. Like let's separate some things so that we don't complicate our thinking. And let's before we come to a conclusion, let's look at each of the things individually. Number one, this precious young girl that's going through therapy and uh, or, I, I, born a boy or a girl, I, I didn't understand. Born, born I, I did. a male. Yeah. Okay, so this young man going uh, confused about their identity, confused about their, or or even just desiring to be another identity, even though they're genetically, uh, he was he's a genetic boy. Um, you, you know, we need to, we need to pray for him and, and not, not neglect to, and I, you're not doing this, but for the sake of everyone listening, like not to neglect the, I, the, the, the truth that this is a very challenging place this young man is in. And he has parents that aren't giving him the kind of help that he really needs, uh, in encouraging this surgery and hormonal therapy and things. It's only going to add to the sinful con- it's sort of like a parent's, um, uh, I grew up this way. It's very similar in parents saying, well, you know, my kids are going to party, so we might as well let them get drunk in the house here uh, instead of getting drunk in the house there. And and while there may be some well-intentioned thought on that, it didn't help me at all. It just helped me become a better drunk um, as a kid, uh, as a minor. I needed help from adults that said, no, not in my house, not in my life. And it's unfortunate that that's how this gone run down. Number two... You you already know this, but it's going to be reaffirming to you when you when you get into a relationship with this woman. All of that comes with her, uh, her ex husband and his thoughts, the children, the influence of of her children upon your children, uh, and and you already know that. But just for the sake of separating everything, and then thirdly, the way I hear you describe is that her view of this under the influence of her husband or just her own personal choice is diametrically different than your view of this. Did I get that right? At the current point, yes. But in okay. conversations we've had, she's referenced how she was kind of convinced and at first was rejecting it of it. But then over time, she was talked into it and uh, ultimately was kind of just played along. And, and now it's it's something that is just there and accepted. But um, yeah. And that that's something that you need to consider a lot deeper if this relationship moves forward uh, because the influence of her ex-husband, uh, what that looks like, how vulnerable she might be to him. You know, you're going to have to explore all that. That's that's just some layers of response, uh, layers of, um, of relational friendship that you guys are going to have to go deeper on. So, so all of that, sorting all of that out, I think that 
the influence on your other children takes a high priority. Um, I think, and you, you mentioned it, but I think that's probably the highest priority uh, in how you are going to proceed with introducing your kids to this kind of uh, behavior, this kind of, uh, because eventually you said it, eventually they're in the world. It's, it's going to be exposed in the world. But you, your question is, do you want to enter into the bond of marriage? It sounds like, um, with all that this woman is carrying in. And that is a choice you can make without making a value ju- judgment. You don't have to make a value judgment to say, I appreciate our friendship and I appreciate you, but I believe because of the things that are surrounding your life right now, I just don't want to pursue a further relationship. And it's not a value judgment as much as it is a decision you're making based on what you know. Okay. And yeah. I, it, it might be... It might be perceived that way, you know, it might be, oh, you're so judgmental. I'm actually not being judgmental at all in the, the way that you're feeling it. I, I just, I have to, my priorities, and I'm going to assume, and you can correct me, but you're you're divorced as well, so you have an ex-wife and the children yes. in between her as well? Yes. So what you guys both are fe- are, are experiencing are the consequences of the sin of divorce. Yes. Um, and you, you can't, you can't. Neither can she eliminate those. Uh, they're going to be there. It's going to be a part of it. So knowing that I don't want to sin anymore or I don't want to make the consequences worse, I think you're you're even calling and talking about it. There's maturity, I hear, in you really carefully assessing these things. And for the sake of not your own personal happiness, although that's important, but for the care and concern of your kids. And that is a good starting point for you. And I can yeah, there's that. no and, reason that me dating should be exposing my daughters to anything that, you know, I wouldn't be okay with otherwise if it was not me dating. And that is the conclusion that you called with. We talked about it and you ended with. Yes. So let me pray <clears> for you. Thank you. Father, I pray uh, with my brother Matthew, and first of all, I pray for this young man who's confused and wrestling with, um, you know, wrestling with the reality of, uh, or not the reality, but the the what's her what's his identity, and who is he in this world, and the influence of uh, the transgender community and the the the, the twisted uh, views of sexuality in our culture today. I just pray that you would. Um, speak through, speak beyond into his heart your great love for him. And I pray for Matthew as he processes all of his um, decisions as a single man and loving his children and just dying to self, uh, really dying to self when necessary uh, so that he could honor you and bless his kids. And encourage him, Lord, because it hurts to die to ourselves. And help him in any communication he has with this woman uh, that she might know his care and concern and understand where he sits in the priorities of his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. 303-690-3000. Austin, Greeley, Colorado. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Ed? I'm doing great. Um, good to hear it. I've been uh, attending Calvary Chapel in Greeley for almost a year and a half. Okay. And 
and I really fell in love with it because of the expositional teachings, and I really enjoyed going. And um, somewhere along the way, I started listening to um, some Reformed theologians and pastors like John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and Bodie Bachman and stuff. Sure. And I'm sure you know is one of the main uh, distinctive uh, or differences between Reformed theology and kind of what Calvary believes is their view on Calvinism, right? Yeah, sure. We were, uh, we, I could say we reject five-point Calvinism. Yeah, and yes. I, I guess I'm having a hard time reconciling that, because um, it's, not, it's not an easy thing to re- reconcile, and, uh, and I guess um, I'm just trying to figure out what I think or, or who's right, because I, I think that these Reformed guys that I listen to have a lot of merit, but so do Calvary, so I'm kind of sure. in a str- struggle point. Okay, so let's let's step back and say, when you say hard to reconcile, what two points are you really, like, how can you, what point are you at right now that you're having a hard time reconciling? If Calvinism is true or not, because in in some arguments I can see where it is biblical, but in some arguments I can see that we're just finite creatures trying to understand an infinite God. Sure. And well, so. the, the, and the challenge, I think, too, is how we define things, because there is some overlap in saying, do we believe in the depravity of man? Yes. Uh, do we believe in the, um, do we believe that God predestines? Yes. Um, do we believe it like a Calvinist does? Absolutely not. Um, you know, the idea of the reform, pre, the reformed view of predestination teaches that before a person can choose Christ, his heart has to be changed so that in order for him to be saved, he has to be born again before he's born again. Uh, And as you walk through each of those pieces, um, I simply cannot agree with the teaching of limited atonement. Jesus didn't die for some, he died for all. And if we just allow... uh, One of the things I like to do, and I do have great respect for my friends that are Reformed, I have respect for them. I just disagree. I disagree um, very sure. strongly. Um, the 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 reality that um, if you take if you take predestination to its to their view of predestination to its end, then then they actually believe in a double predestination. It has to follow. You can't. They may say they don't, but it has to. They call that hyper Calvinism, but it's actually right. just basic Calvinism. Uh, if some are only predestined, Jesus Christ only died for those predestined then he didn't die for those not predestined, which would be God's choice, right? God, if God is the author, then he would actually choose people not to be saved, which doesn't reflect the character and nature of God whatsoever. So when you look at the simplicity of, of the system of Calvinism, I think the doctrines actually go back to the scriptures. So if you can read those doctrines biblically, not from a system of, of systematic theology like Calvinism, I think you have a safer. That's what we attempt to do. Uh, we, I, Calvary Chapel family of churches, attempt to go beyond, go behind that sy- systematic theology and allow the Bible to say what it says. And I had somebody recently say, you know, you guys, because you d- reject Calvinism, you reject predestination. And I said, no, that's not true. Yeah. Um, I did a whole Bible study in Romans chapter eight, verses twenty nine and thirty, um, ex- explaining uh, our view of predestination. 
and of course we believe in predestination. That's like you know saying Ephesians chapter one verse five isn't there, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ. Like so, our heart is to try to to adhere to the biblical text. But here's what here's what happens: we don't have an answer for every single question, and because I don't have an answer for every single question. Uh, for example, the big question: How does God's free will operate with God? Uh, man's free will operate with God's sovereignty? And here's my answer: I have no idea. I don't know. So this is such a good question. I'm going to put you back on hold. You hear the music? I hear the music, and I'll pay, I'll take this up for follow up as soon as we come back. So hang on. 303-690-3000. Having a great discussion about predestination, Calvinism. It's good to talk about these things. So let's uh, come back. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Calvary Live. I can't believe how fast the segments go. My name is Ed Taylor. I, I didn't mention that in the first segment. I pastor here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Aurora, Colorado, suburb of Denver. Shout out to every, all my friends in Hope FM, all my friends on Truth FM, all my friends on Refuge FM, and so many more stations in our online uh, community as well. So grateful uh, to talk about these things that are pertaining to life and godliness. We find all of our answers in Christ, in his word. And we're going to come back to Greeley, Colorado. Austin is uh, on the line. We were talking about predestination, about Calvinism. And so so far, what I've shared, Austin, what kind of follow-up is on your mind? Um, I, I've just seen Calvinists kind of look at it in a different way, like the way you brought up uh, limited atonement. Um, yes. They argue that, well, of course the atonement is limited because people go to hell. Like, like it's not a universal atonement. And the more I listen to it, the more it doesn't sound like they tried to promote double predestination. Um, right. That that's really a good that's a good observation, and it's an important. Let me let me jump in real quick. I I suspect that as you're listening to them, you're actually softening in your own mind, what they're really saying. Because I think that is your view. If you, that, if you were to take away Calvinism, and I would just give you the English phrase, limited atonement, I think you and I would come to the same uh, conclusion that, of course, people go to hell, so the atonement isn't, isn't, um, applicable, uh, isn't received by everyone. So, of course, it's limited. Not everyone gets saved. But that's not what they're saying. Limited atonement means is that the atonement only applies to the elect and the non-elect have no opportunity whatsoever. The entire, from their first breath to their last breath, they have no opportunity to be saved. That, that, yeah. that, so the, the system of Calvinism actually has its own definitions um, because the opposite of limited atonement is not universalism. The opposite of limited atonement is the reality that atonement is available to all, but not received by all. Sure. Yeah, so because the de- they say it's sufficient for all, but efficient for some. 
And I guess whenever you read is that Ephesians one or two where it where it talks about he's had his elect since before the formation of the earth, and um, and I, I guess I can see where that supports it. But then you go over to Second Peter chapter three verse nine where it says he's not willing that any should perish. I guess I just take a step back and scratch my head and say, is there something these guys are getting that I'm missing? Right, because the the system is designed to package up those challenges that you have in your mind. You you sound pretty young, so you probably don't have kids, right? No, I don't. <laughs> okay, so, so I've raised all my kids into adulthood, so I have a limited, God does this in the Bible, he uses fa- human fathers as a limited example of Heavenly Father, and he actually uses a phrase, I just read in Luke, you know, if uh, dads will take care of their sons, how much more will your father take care of you, give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? So I raised my kids, and I could say this in a general sense. I I was not willing that any of my kids, uh, I would create an environment as a parent, my wife and I, and I was not willing that any of my par- any of my kids ever get in trouble. Did they get in trouble? Of course they did. Did they disobey me? Of course they did. However, that didn't take away my desire and my opportunity and the availability that I gave to my kids to do the right thing. You know, so when God says he's not willing that anyone should perish, that that means that the atonement is available to anyone, to whosoever. Uh, you know, like, like when Jesus um, is described as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the whole world, like in 1 John 2, 2. Um, that's important. Or John one twenty nine. you know, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That, that If you read the Bible without Calvary Chapel or without Calvinism, you would understand that exactly what it says. You wouldn't, it, you wouldn't mess with it. Um, because the Calvinist reads that, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the elect of the world. Uh, the Apostle Paul would say God is in Christ reconciling the world, but the Calvinist always includes, no, that's only experienced by the people that are saved, but that's skipping a step. Like the Jesus Christ died for all. Um, you can't get away from that. The atonement wasn't limited. The atonement was unlimited. It's available to whosoever will. Um, but if you read with, it, it's like I use this illustration with our church all the time, and it's true from a uh, Calvary Chapel theology, Calvinist, Arminian, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you put on the glasses of Calvinism, then you're going to see the Bible through those glasses. You don't have a choice. So you're going to, your, your mind will automatically wrap around things that, well, it has to be the elect. That has to, you, you're, you're going to read into the text, whether you intend to or not. I don't think it's sinful. It's just we read through the lens of our perspective. And, if you could get behind the theology and say, well, what did this mean to the first century? Um, you know, they're dealing with Jew and Gentile, right? Um, they're, they're, he's talking about salvation available to the Jew and the Gentile, um, which the Gentiles would represent the whole world. Uh, and it was a refutation of the Jewish mindset that only the Jews could be saved. Um, and so I, I think it's important that as you're studying, that there's a, a lot of great things to learn from our Reformed friends um, because they do, you know, I, I think of John MacArthur. He's such a phenomenal Bible teacher in many ways, but I totally disagree with him on on his Reformed theology, which he's gotten more harder, you know, the older he's gotten. 
Um, and let's just say one more thing and then I'll give you a follow-up and we'll have to move on. But um, if limited atonement really meant that to only the elect and the total depravity of man, as a Calvinist describes it, means a man can't do anything unless God saves him first, then what's the point of evangelism? What's the point of the Great Commission? Well, I've heard it said, kind of like MacArthur gave an answer to that question um, about how Spurgeon said that if everybody could lift up their shirts and you could see an E on their back, then you wouldn't feel a need to evangelize because you would already know who the elect are. But since we don't, that's why we evangelize, because the Bible also tells us to go share the gospel with every living creature. So part of it's kind of a and part of it's that we get to take part in that, but we just don't believe that a man can do it without being drawn by the Holy Spirit. But that's a whole—so, you know, that's where they mix mix teachings, because being drawn by the Holy Spirit is very different than their view of, of of soteriology and salvation. So you've articulated it very well. So let's step away from any man, and let's just ask the question, it, it is— is it not dishonest to preach the gospel? If you believe that most people aren't going to be saved, aren't you lying to a, to the unelect? Yeah, that makes sense, because you can't say to them, Jesus died for you, and be honest about it if you believe you can't. in the limit. And so then, so then through that, that whole theology, I know it's simplistic. There's people, there's reformed people listening right now, flipping out right now. I can't believe you said it's so simplistic, but it is simplistic because it's more simple than, than what we think. Because, you know, as you're processing this, check this out, what's happening. You're, you're referring to what a man taught you. And, and I'm not even asking you to refer to what I teach you. I'm just talking, let's just talk about the Bible. If we, if we really hold to those tenets and we believe that most of the world can never be saved because the atonement is limited, then to preach the gospel is dishonest. I don't care if you take your shirt up. I don't care what Spurgeon said. I agree with him. Don't agree with him but on some things. But you, if, if, we, if, the, if the belief is really that most of the world can never, cannot be saved, they are not elect, then to preach the gospel to them is foolish. It's, it's dishonest at the very least. Um, where you go into all the world and preach the gospel, go into all the world of the elect, and since we can't see their shirt because we don't see the E on their back, then we're primarily telling people something that we don't believe. Jesus Christ came to save the whole world. Are you the elect? Um, it's this, and, and so you're a good example of this, and I hope everybody listening in, that as you are weaving together what you think the Bible says, you are... It, it's challenging you because you have to go back and say, well, but the man explained it this way. Yeah, but the Bible doesn't say that. But the man explained it that way. Yeah, but the Bible doesn't say that. Calvinism, Calvin said that, yeah, but the Bible doesn't actually say that. And that's the challenge with this system of theology or any system of theology. Like We have to come back and say on each of these tenets. And, and the thing about Calvinism that people forget because People say they're two-point, three-point Calvinists. I don't believe that's possible. I don't believe you can be anything but a full-blown Calvinist. You can't take one or two of them because the system all works to— it's all a cohesive system. And if you were a two-point Calvinist, let's just say everyone listening right now, well, you know what, I think I'm a three-point Calvinist. Actually, you don't believe anything of Calvinism because you've reinterpreted those 
uh, say, I believe in all of those, but I don't believe in irresistible grace. Well, then you don't believe in Calvinism because it all fits together. It, it, you can't break it apart. It's not, it's impossible. They, they, if you believe, if you don't believe in irresistible grace, then you have a different definition of it than a Calvinist does. Yeah. Yeah, no, so no that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense, Ed. Here's what I would do. Email me, and I will send you a little pamphlet that it's super small, simple, that will walk you through some of the thinking uh, from a perspective. Because we're all, all we're simply saying at Calvary and, and you know our, in, our non-denominational gathering of churches, all we're simply saying is, is that we are, not fi- we are not Calvinists and we're not Arminianists. We want to adhere as close as we can to the Bible. Um, I'm not. It doesn't mean that we're 100 percent accurate. Uh, it doesn't mean that we hit it you know, like we're right and everyone's wrong. What what we attempt to do is respond to these things that are out there and say, "Do you do believe in this teaching? No, we don't believe in this teaching because of this." And and that's all we're tri- simply saying. Is, and then they'll say, "Well, replace it." What do you replace it with? Well, we, we don't. We don't replace it with anything. We we want to let the Bible speak for itself in its context. And, you know, like the woman, as, as great as it is, the person that said, oh, you guys don't believe in predestination. Well, go to my website and listen to the study. You'll see that I not only believe in predestination, but I explain my belief. Yeah. And... And at the end of this call, what happens is, and is that it leaves it leaves a person that adheres to Calvinism uh, frustrated because we leave questions unanswered. I, I don't exactly understand how God can remain sovereign and yet give to His creation free will. And even then, you, they start to dis- they get so deep in trying to define free will so that they explain a way of you like stop trying to be so deep in explaining it and just say can you can you make a decision that you're responsible for yeah because if you can then you have free will and then you know how you've you've been digging into it with the various teachers they get so deep on free will that you get lost in the definition um and i just don't i don't want to get lost in the definition i i was talking to a brother at church last night and i asked him i said did adam and eve have a real choice in the garden of eden Yes or no? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they definitely did. I, I think so. So before any definitions, before the Old Covenant, before the New Covenant, before Calvin, before Arminius, all, we have Adam and Eve in the garden, and we're there watching it, and we're, we see it unfold in Genesis. I don't think we have any other conclusion but to say, yes, they had some kind of choice that they would be responsible for which we mm-hmm. could call free will, we could call whatever you want. But they had a yeah, choice. They, they Otherwise, faculty of choice. Say that again? They they call it faculty of choice. I heard Sproul use that okay. term because they they can choose within their own sin, but they can't choose Christ because of their depravity. Well, the the reality of their that if if total depravity means the lack of any faculty to make a choice. See how they see how they split the they split the hairs where well, they they have a choice or don't have a choice. Um, they they weren't in sin when they made the choice. I mean, that, that kind of definition is just so dumb. Adam and Eve made that choice. Perfect human beings. They were not in sin. Sure. So to to split hairs and to make this category and this little category and that little category, 
the, the whole thing is it just doesn't follow. It doesn't follow. So even with the definition you just offer, it doesn't apply to Adam and Eve. It, and whether they, oh, well, that's new covenant, old covenant, oh, whatever. They're human beings in the most perfect, pristine relationship with God that will one day be restored to you and me in Christ. And they made their decision in absolute environment of perfection. And then what will they say? Well, then, you know, sin destroyed that. Well, what did it destroy exactly? That's the question. Did it take away every free will decision the rest of their lives of every other human? And I would say, of course not. Otherwise, God would be responsible for our decisions, and he is not a debtor to any man. Nope. So email me. I'll send you this little pamphlet chew on it and i think it's a lively discussion for everyone listening too because it is real and it it just gets it it just gets it just takes us off on a track that now we're plumbing the depths of theology uh and theological teachings rather than plumbing the depths of christ and and again that's not the route i want to take and um these are issues i had to deal with as a new believer so believe me i i've I don't come to you and say, well, I'm this because I'm Calvary Chapel. I come to you and say, man, I have wrestled with these things. I still wrestle with some of them. And and I've concluded that I am not a Calvinist. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate it, Ed. I'll, I'll go ahead and give you an email so you can send me that uh, pamphlet. Okay, sounds good. God bless All right, you. have a good one. Okay, bye-bye. It's good stuff, man, and I love having that discussion about uh, this just in terms of I don't want to argue about it. Uh, I don't want to solicit or elicit arguments. Uh, It is okay if you disagree with me in that sense. Just study the Scriptures. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. 303-690-3000. We have Marcy's been waiting in Tennessee. Marcy, welcome to the program. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yes, I had a question from Revelation uh, 17, 10, 11. About okay. seven kings and five are fallen, and one is, and the other not yet come, and the beast yes. that was, and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seventh. I'd just like <laughs> to know if you can explain that to me. Okay, let me look at it real quick here. You know, it is uh, a great passage of Scripture uh, that gives us, you know, in chapter 17, we have this uh, false religion uh, revealed. Uh, The religious, you know, chapter 17 and 18 give us the religious climate, the political climate during the Great Tribulation period. And it's a time where there's one world political system that's governed by the Antichrist, that's intertwined with the world religious system, and it's trying to describe, you know, beginning in verse 8, who the beast is. We know the beast in verse 8 is the is the Antichrist. And then in verse 9, you have seven heads, I think, that re- refer to seven mountains as you jump to verse 18. Historically, the city of uh, seven hills is ancient Rome, um, it could be a reference just to the governments of man, according to Daniel chapter 2. But in verse 10, you have the world-dominating empires of the past. And, and this is where interpretive insight comes, where we believe that the Roman Empire will be revived, that it will consist of a European confederacy of some sort, 
Um, even today, as you might hear things being talked about as the Eurozone, uh, of course, the European Confederacy, a, a European Confederacy exists today. They have their own currency. They have their own governments. Um, you know, I think you might have heard recently, Marcy, that um, England pulled out of the EU. Uh, they called yeah. it Brexit. And, and what a what a challenge that was. But they finally finished it. And and so the five that have fallen, I believe, refers to the five world empires uh, before John's day. Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, Medo-Persia, and Greece. And the one refers to the world empire of John's day, the one that's, that was then, as he was writing, Rome. And then the other that has not yet come refers to the world empire that's to come, which would be the Roman, the revival of the Roman Empire. Okay, and it, that would cover that being the, the eighth and one of the sevens, because it's revived. Yeah, it's going to come up from within. It's going to be like, that's why we that's why we refer to it as the revived Roman Empire, where it's going to reflect what was in existence in the first century. So, according to you, the passage is uh, speaking of uh, empires. Correct. That's that's what okay. I believe. Yes, sovereign. I, I guess too. It it could you could even empires, sovereign alliances, autonomous governments, that kind of thing. Um, yes. I bet Under I the rule, try to figure that out. <laughs> it's it is challenging. If you well, email me, Marcy, I can send you my notes. Uh, you can read them out. Um, <laughs> well, you think it says, you know, it's the eighth and one of the seven. You're thinking, well, how can he be the eighth and one of the seven? Yes, yes, it's 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 challenging. But, I but it's good. It's good that, that you're reading something that had been and would come back. But I'm not sure would what it back. was. Yes. Yep. And so I, there's a, I, I don't even actually know the different views, but from a pre-tribulational, pre-rapture, a pre-trib, pre-millennial view, we believe that's the revived Roman Empire, like that, that, that's the seat of where Antichrist will rule from. It won't be the United States. It'll be in Europe. I see. Uh, can I ask you another question? Sure. Okay, in the Bible where it talks about women being silent in the church. Yes. Uh, I read that, read that, reread that, and it, you know, Paul says uh, he he asks it with a question mark when he's talking to him. Well, let's look it up because that's a really good question, um, and and I think that it requires a careful answer because I think it's been misapplied in many ways, uh, and just kind of um, if you're are you. Are you referring to the passage in Corinthians or in Timothy? It's in Corinthians. Okay. So it's in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty four. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for women to speak in church. Right. Um, I, I believe this is a, a, an instruction to the Corinthians that is cultural in nature. Uh, and the cultural setting of the earth, of the first century churches, even in the home churches, was that the women were separated from the men. And in the course of instruction, uh, the questions came up, and the women were speaking up loudly to their husbands in an unsubmissive way, and that in that particular behavior, they were to keep silent. Um, this is not an absolute... Uh, as is the one in Timothy, 
is not an absolute edict that a woman, once they set foot in a church or and among the church, cannot say a word, because in many other places in the scriptures, it's very clear that not only women say words, they pray, they prophesy, they teach the Bible, they they lead in worship. Like it's not an absolute statement. So when right. we don't, when we try to apply statements absolutely, when they contradict with other parts of the scriptures, we have to dismiss that interpretation and come back. So I think this is a cultural um, statement. And the application for today would probably emphasize on the submission uh, more than the speaking because um, there are other areas that we don't really have that issue today. And if if the problem in the Corinthian church was men yelling, then I suspect Paul would have wrote and say, men, you're to keep silent because uh, it's shameful. I think this is an applicable thing that's specific for the Corinthian believers. Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great questions. 303-690-3000. David's been waiting on uh, line two in Greenwood Village, Colorado. David, welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Ed. Um, Thanks for having me. I know you guys are almost about done here. We are. Um, If that's okay, I just wanted to... I'll make this quick. I just wanted to uh, maybe get some prayer for my family, my marriage. Um, I've, I've, uh, throughout my, um, relationship with my wife, I really tried to lead our family spiritually, but, you know, as the head of a household, but I, of course, I don't know if I've done a well enough job. My, my, my wife, she wants to, um, get a divorce and she's going to, she, she just went through these divorce, uh, hearings and stuff. And, I, I wasn't really um, trying to go along with it because I know God hates divorce, Good. and um, it was—it felt like it was contradictory to uh, to what God wants me to do um, in terms of following along with the divorce, and um, uh, it just—you know—I know that it says in Scripture to if you know somebody wants to sue you, you know, give them your coat also. Um, you know, along the lines of that, I know it's just like, you know, Jesus kind of is telling us to, you know, let people sue you or, you know, let them do what they're going to do and, and surrender, you know, to God. Yes. The situation. Well, um, well, we want to be careful a little bit not to cross over different principles. So let's just deal with the divorce particularly. You don't have to sign the paperwork. You don't have to agree to it. Uh, you can continue to pray waiting for God to do a work. Um, you can beg your wife to meet with a counselor, her choice. You can affirm your love for her. Uh, there, There's no pressure on your part to participate in this divorce at this time. You can give time. You can be. You can wait patiently, in prayer, and waiting for that right opportunity with her to sit down and try to rescue your marriage. I know a lot of it's outside of your control. Uh, I acknowledge that, um, and I want you to acknowledge it. A lot of it is outside of your control, but the things that are in your control, you don't have to agree to this. Um, you don't have to sign the paperwork. Uh, you don't have to. In light of that, you know that that passage of sue and give your cloak. I mean, you you don't. This is a different category of relationship, and 
the God honors the relationship. He honors working it out. He honors forgiveness. He honors reconciliation. And at this time, I, I think that Lord just wants you to know you don't have to feel any undue pressure to participate. You can wait. You can pray. You can ask. Uh, you know, again, for you can continue to talk to her. You can continue to ask her. You can continue to beg her. You know, you can continue. Um, I, I would definitely not harass her or anything like that. And you don't sound like a person that would do that. But I'm not encouraging you to to somehow make her afraid or scared or anything. But in your relationship with her, in the opportunities when you can talk to her, you you can ask. Please reconsider. You know, you can ask. Please forgive me. You can ask. Can we sit down with a pastor or a counselor? and see if we can work this out. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's okay. where my heart is, and I want to do that. Um, you know, and I, I'm not sure if it's spiritual stronghold or something. She's really resistant to anything I say yeah. in terms of Scripture, and she, she deems it as manipulative. Or, and, 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 that and I is, I've that never is... been that way. I've, I've only said things out of love. It's just... I mean, we all make mistakes in our marriages. We all make mistakes. We all have difficulties. Um, I'm sure that, that there have been times in your marriage where she was hurt or offended. That's normal for all of us. But the reality is, is that God can do a great work even on a hard heart. So, Father, I pray for my brother. Please encourage him and strengthen him. And we pray and claim his marriage in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, David. Hey, we'll be um, back tomorrow. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of uh, what God's doing on Calvary Live. It's a pleasure to be a small part. You've been listening to Calvary Live. <laughs> Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.